Thank you, Bonnie. And Gary and Rosie for the music, and Joy and Bobby for their part this morning. Those that were <clears throat> here last time I spoke, which was back in February, the scripture reading that was just read may sound familiar because it's the same one <clears throat> that I had back in February. So in, the, in these verses that we just read, <clears throat> Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbors yourself. And on these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Love to God, love to mankind. Basically, God's commandments are a reflection of his character, which is love. God is love. And the commandments reflect that, the law of love. It only makes sense that when the God who is love, when he created, he constructed, built, and designed everything to operate in harmony with his own nature and character of love. Because it is by him that all things that hold together in our universe, talks about that in Colossians 1.17. And this is exactly what inspiration reveals. In Romans 13.10, it says, Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church that most of you know, named Ellen White, said this in The Great Controversy, page 493, The law of love, being the foundation of the government of God, the happiness of all created beings depended upon their perfect accord with love's great principles of righteousness. And something else that Mrs. White said, and this is taken from The Desire of Ages, page 21. Turning from all lesser representations, we behold God in Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, we see that it is the glory of God to give. And in this context, now I'm not quoting, but in this context where it says the glory to God, glory many times in the Bible means God's character. God's glory is God's character. And it is God's glory or God's character to give is what this is saying. Continuing with the quote, I do nothing of myself, said Christ. The living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. I seek not my uh, own glory, but the glory of him that sent me. In these words is set forth the great principle which is the law of life for the universe. All things that Christ received was from God. And Christ took these things from God but to give. You know, I'm not quoting again now, but he received from God to turn around and give it back. And that's what he asks us to do. We receive from him to turn around and love and give. Continuing with the quote, So in the heavenly courts, in his ministry for all created beings, through the beloved Son, the Father's life flows out to all. Through the Son, it returns in praise and joyous service. 
a tide of love to the great source of all. And thus through Christ, the circuit of beneficence is complete, representing the character of God, the great giver, the law of life. Desire of Ages, page 21. Inspiration is clear. God's law is the law of love, and this law is the law upon which life is designed to operate. This is how we were designed to function. We were designed to live in a world that lived on love. Break this law, and it automatically results in ruin and death. Unless the designer intervenes to heal and restore. After Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that's exactly what happened. God did intervene. And eventually he intervened by sending Jesus to come to this earth, to live, die, and resurrect so that we could be healed and restored back fully to the image of God again. Well, if the law of love is the reflection of God's character and really is the bottom line of his law, then where do the Ten Commandments come in? Let's talk about that a little bit. The Ten Commandments were given when? To Moses at Mount Sinai? Why did God choose to give the Ten Commandments at that point? Was it because after all his people had been in slavery for 400 years, they had pretty much totally lost or forgotten what God was like and who God was. So God needed to give his law in written form so they had it before them for a couple of reasons. One is a diagnostic instrument to tell them, to show them what sin was and what it would do to them. But also as a protective hedge that God would put around them to to protect them from the evils of this earth. Romans talks about this, Romans 3.20, that says, Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And Romans 7.7 says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was had the law not said, You shall not covet. Just as young children don't understand much about reality, Someone needs to instruct them, needs to teach them. So too, we sinners on earth cannot comprehend reality as it is, including God's original design for life and the reality of our own sin-sick condition without someone to tell us. And God has provided the written law, the Ten Commandments, is a tool to determine or <clears throat> to show us our terminal state so that we will realize our great need to return to our designer for healing and restoration. As we mature, God has promised that he will write his design law of love right upon our hearts and upon our minds. And when that happens, the written law is no longer needed for diagnosis because it's already written into the very fabric of our thinking. But still, even at that point, the written law does something more than just diagnose. 
As I mentioned earlier, it provides protection. As with a little child, you might say, do not go into the street and play. Do we say that because we're mean? No, we say that as a means of protection until they understand why that is dangerous. And it's the same with God, who sets boundaries of protection around us while he goes about finishing his work of restoring us back to his original design, beings who live in perfect accord with him and with his law of love. Turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Going to read Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 21, going through verse 25. <clears throat> it is, the law, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the scripture has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was to later be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer Under a tutor. Sometimes with immature thinking, it's hard to understand God's provision of the Ten Commandment law, what, what it was really for, what its design was for. His design law, the law of love, was always in existence. But the codification of his law of love, put into words written specifically for sinful human beings, was added later. Some more protest that to suggest that such an idea is to undermine the law, but it really doesn't undermine the law, and let me give you an example of why. Now, some of you may have taken science classes in school, and some may not have, um, so it may be new to you, but those that took science may remember somebody named Newton that had three laws of motion. And the first law of motion was an object at rest remains at rest, and the object in motion continues at a constant velocity until it's acted upon by an external force. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. A few, yeah. That's. Uh, the second law says the sum external force F on an object is equal to the mass M of that object multiplied by the acceleration vector A of that object, which can be written out in a formula that says force equals mass times acceleration. And the third law, when one body exerts a force on a second body, the second body simultaneously exerts force equal in magnitude in an opposite direction of the first body. Now, a few of you knew those uh, rules or laws. You've heard of them, but many of you have not. Now, just because you had not heard of them, does that mean they're not true? 
No, they are true. They are real. They are things that you think of in other terms. They're things like gravity, friction, weight, mass, speed, velocity. Those things you've heard of and can relate to, and they do affect you. Um, Do they apply to everyone or, or only to those who've heard about it? No, it applies to you whether you've heard about it or not. Correct? Yeah. So are these rules that we must obey or are they descriptions of how reality is built to function? Therefore, are they design laws? If Newton had not written them down, would that mean that these laws would not exist or would not be in effect? No, they were always there before Newton discovered them. How about if we, uh, in a committee, decide that we're going to change the reading of Newton's law, of the first law, to say an object at rest remains at rest unless it receives permission from a proper church committee to move? (laughs) Does that change anything? No. In other words, can humans change these laws? Humans cannot because they are design laws written by God into the very fabric of creation. They are there, and we cannot change them. So are these laws imposed laws or design laws? They're design laws. Imposed laws are the kind that men make, the kind that we have in our legal system. You make a law, and then somebody has to enforce it. You know. Um, no, Newton did not create or enact these laws. He is merely described the laws as they are already in effect from the moment God created his universe. And the Ten Commandments are much like this. They describe but do not uh, establish God's law, just like Newton's laws describe but do not establish the laws of motion. God's design law was already in effect before the Ten Commandments were written. But human beings, with minds darkened by sin, failed to comprehend God's design of love So God provided a distilled or condensed version of his law specifically written for the needs of fallen mankind. Paul confirms this in Romans chapter 5 when he points out that death reigned from the time Adam and Eve fell in the garden until the time of Moses, which was approximately 2,000 years. Um, And this is 2,000 years before the law was given to Moses, the law of the Ten Commandments. And even during those 2,000 years, even if you didn't break any of the specific commandments, death still reigned. People still died. Death reigned because the actual condition of humanity had changed with the fall in the garden and was now deviant and out of harmony with God's design not because of some legal problem with the law. In fact, the law was not even given yet, the law that we think of, the Ten Commandments. This is further demonstrated by considering the angels who rebelled in heaven. Did those angels in heaven sin? Yes, they sinned, which means they transgressed God's eternal law. But did those angels have laws stating that they would pass down to the third and fourth generations? Angels don't marry. They don't reproduce. How could they have a third and fourth generation? Um, 
They were also required, were they required to honor their father and mother or to not commit adultery? They didn't even know what those things were. They don't know what you're talking about. And what about the Sabbath commandment? Consider how the Sabbath is measured by the rotation of this earth in relation to our sun. Isn't that correct? Our 24-hour period is the length of a day. The evening and the morning was a day. And on the seventh day, God created the Sabbath. Well, it's interesting um, that the sun didn't even exist until the fourth day of creation. If you believe the seven-day creation story, which I do, I hope you all do. Uh, But the angels were in existence long before the sun was created. The Sabbath was created during the seven-day creation. The seventh-day creation, the Sabbath, was created. Even Jesus said this in the New Testament. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. No, angels in heaven didn't have a copy of the Ten Commandments, but angels in heaven were and are still bound by the design parameters on which God constructed all reality to function, the law of love. The problem on earth today is that almost the entire world has accepted the lie that God's law is merely a list of rules that operate no different than the laws that people make up. But I'm here to say this morning that God's laws are totally different than the laws that people make up. We must come back to reality, to God's design, to understand the true purpose of the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read from Romans 3, verses 19 and 20. You can follow in your Bibles if you would like, but I'm going to read it from a different paraphrase. It's going to sound a little different than what you have in the Bible your Bibles, Romans 3, 19 and 20. I'm going to be reading from the remedy paraphrase. Now we know the Ten Commandments are like a medical diagnostic instrument identifying infection and exposing disease. It diagnoses accurately everyone who is infected with distrust of God, filled with selfishness and dying of sin, so that everyone who claims to be sin-free or free of selfishness will be silenced, and the entire world will recognize the need of God's healing solution. Therefore, no one will be recognized as having a healthy relationship with God and being like Christ in character by adhering to a set of rules. Rather, it is through the Ten Commandments that we become aware of our sickly state of mind. God, like a loving parent, gave written rules, laws, to help protect his earthborn children and to help them understand his design law, and thus they were in danger of running out into the street um, and destroying themselves. But now, since Jesus has come, he has revealed the truth of God's character. He has lived out God's law in perfect harmony, And he did it in humanity. Jesus was human and God. He has procured the remedy for our sin-sick condition. And through trust in him, we can partake of his victory so that it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Galatians 2.20. 
We can receive a new heart and a right spirit, as it says in Psalms 51.10. We can have a heart, of, uh, remove the heart of stone and be given a heart of flesh, as it says in Ezekiel 36.26. We can have the law written upon our hearts and minds, as it says in Hebrews 8.10. In other words, we can have God-shaped hearts, hearts that are in harmony with God's love like he loves. Selfishness and fear can be cut out from our hearts and love restored within, as it says in Romans 2.29. We can have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16, and grow up into the full stature of sons and daughters of God, Ephesians 4.13. God longs for us to grow up, to mature, to move past milk and ingest flesh, the flesh of truth, and become his understanding friends, as it says in John 15.15. 15. I'm going to move on to the second phase of this sermon. This is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to talk specifically more about God's design laws, what they are and how they work. Um, most of these laws are based on Scripture. You'll recognize them immediately when I talk about them. Some of them are based on nature, things that are built right into nature, like gravity and so on. You know. In order for a law to be a design law, it must be a principle upon which reality operates. And as such, it will be testable with reproducible, consistent, constant, predictable results. In other words, it is non-changing, and the consequences when violated are inherent to the law itself, not arbitrarily decreed. The only variable would be the amount of damage that results with various degrees of violation. Let me give you an example. Let's take the law of gravity. Would the amount of harm that is done to a person that jumped off the Empire State Building be different than a person that uh, stumbled and fell off the five-inch curve, curb off a sidewalk into the road? Gravity is treating each person the same, but the degree of violation is much different, and so the results are going to be much different. Okay, you understand that, you see that, right? Um, design law always has a natural consequence. They do not require an external agent to punish someone who violates them. I'm going to talk this morning about 17 specific design laws, but I want to make it clear, because God is infinite, there's probably many more that I'm not going to talk about this morning, but it will give you an idea of what I'm talking about. And the first one is probably the biggest one, the most important one that all the others fall under, and that is the law of love. It is God's primary design law, the law of love. It is the principle of giving upon which life is built to operate. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Um, you know that as humans, we have to have air. We breathe in, we have to have oxygen, we breathe out CO2. All the plant life around us has to have CO2 to live. So we give CO2 so that the plants can live. They give oxygen so that we can live. That's a, an example of the law of love in action because it's a law that's giving to help others. Another one is the water cycle. You're all familiar with our planet is covered with more water than anything else. Vast oceans. Those oceans eventually under 
various conditions evaporate moisture up into the air that form clouds that come over the land masses and water the soils. So God gives life to the soils through the water cycle, and any excess water that isn't needed runs off into little creeks, uh, streams, to smaller rivers and to larger rivers, and eventually makes its way back to the ocean. And that's the cycle of the water cycle, and it's giving so that all the earth can live. Because of time restraints, I'm going to stop there, but some of you may have been here or remember it was three and a half years ago I gave a sermon on December 7th, 2019 that would still be on a podcast that's re- uh, recorded on the law of love. The whole sermon was on that one topic, the law of love. The second <clears throat> design law is the law of liberty that goes hand in hand with the law of love because love only exists in the uh, atmosphere of liberty or freedom. Violate a person's freedoms in their relationships and three predictable damaging consequences will always occur. The first one is love is damaged, and if it continues, it will eventually be destroyed. The second one is rebellion is incited in a person. Uh, they, They get this desire to break away. They need to get free. They long for freedom. And the third one is individuality of a of the one being dominated, will be eroded and eventually destroyed if the violations do not end. Again, um, this is just a brief summary of the law of liberty. And about four years ago on August 10th, 2019, I also gave a sermon on the law of liberty. The third design law is the law of worship. And this is one that the pastor talked about in April. You remember him talking about every one of us has this deep longing created within us to worship. And we are ideally designed to worship God, but if if it's not God, this deep longing is so deep in us, we're going to worship something. And you see people worshiping all kinds of things that aren't God. Um, The second part, I'm not sure the pastor really talked about this, but there's a second part to the law of worship, and that is what we worship will change us. By beholding, we become changed, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are changed neurobiologically in our brain. Our brain actually changes based on what we worship. Same with our character. We become like what we admire, worship, spend time watching or assimilating. This is even true with God if we have a wrong picture of God. If our picture of God is an angry, wrathful, revengeful God, we will become angry, wrathful, revengeful people because we become changed by what we worship and who we worship. The fourth design law is the law of exertion. I think you all know about this by experience. Strength comes through exercise. If we don't exercise, we lose strength. We use it or we lose it. And it's not just physically. It's also true neurobiologically. We have to use our brains. If we get lazy with our brains, we begin to lose the function of the brain as well. The fifth design law is the laws of physics. And we've already kind of touched on that. The laws of gravity, of friction, of motion, of nuclear forces, and so on. I'm not going to go any more into that. Uh, The sixth design law is the laws of mathematics. Similar, but a little different. 
such as the communicative laws of A plus B equals B plus A or the Fibonacci principle and so on. There's a bunch of other mathematical laws, and we're not going to go into those. You'd be bored to tears. So, <laughs> um, The seventh one you're all very familiar with. You may not have ever heard of it as being a design law, but they are the laws of health. God built certain health laws into us as humans that if we keep those laws, we are much like, more likely to live healthy lives. If we don't, we almost certainly are not going to live healthy lives. You know the things that I'm talking about on our nutrition, our exercise, sleep, hydration, respiration, and various other things. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 talks about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. You know. Okay, let's move on to the seventh or the eighth design law, the law of restoration. I think you've all experienced this too. After expending a resource such as energy, one must rest and recover before they're enabled to expend more. Uh, a quick sports example would be a baseball pitcher must rest and recover before he can pitch again, lest he cause permanent damage to his arm. Um, another one would be one of the purposes, and there are multiple, many purposes to the Sabbath, but one of the purposes for the Sabbath is for restoration. The day of rest, to rest to be restored physically, mentally, spiritually. Design law number nine, the law of sowing and reaping. We reap what we sow, and it's not just in our fields and gardens, but it's in everything we do in life. One cannot get grapes by sowing oats. And we cannot get critical thinking and reasoning skills by allowing others to think for us. An example of that uh, would be if you think back to your school years when you were in school, did you learn more by having a difficult subject and really have to work hard to get through it? Or did you learn more when somebody just gave you all the answers? Which did you really remember? You remembered what you really worked through and thought about, right? Let's move on to the 10th design law, the law of love overcoming fear. Um, Genuine love overcomes fear. Some of you may remember in 1 John 4.18 it says, perfect love casts out all fear. Um, Genuine love overcomes fear, fear for self, and allows us to sacrifice for others. In our brains... When our love circuits fire, it calms the fear circuits. I'll give you an example. A mother who sees her child put into danger or in harm's wave will almost always immediately jump in to save the child because of her love for the child, even though it may harm her, and she doesn't think a second about the harm to herself. She's going to try to save the child. If the circumstances were different, she would never jump in and allow herself to be harmed if the child wasn't in danger. So that's an example of the law of love overcoming fear. Now there's another design law that's just about the opposite of that, the law of fear that damages or overcomes love and incites selfishness. When our fear circuits are active, we identify with them and we focus on fear, losing concern for others. We think only of self and neglect or harm others in order to protect and save self. I'm going to stop just for a second here. Has anybody noticed in the last few years how much 
through the media, it seems like they're constantly trying to get you to fear something, to instill fear. Because when you are living a life of fear, it shuts down the love circuits. And they want the love to be out, and they want you to fear everything. Uh, Consider being in a crowded public venue when a mass shooting breaks out. If you don't know know anyone else, the fear drives will probably all about self, and most people will only seek to escape the danger, maybe even pushing others out of the way or trampling over them. But if you are with a loved one, you don't simply flee. You seek to save your loved one, even putting yourself between the shooter and the loved one. Design law number 12, the law of forgiveness versus resentment. And again, this is something the pastor's been talking about in his most recent series about forgiveness. When wronged, we have a choice. We can choose to forgive or not to forgive. When we forgive, we free ourselves from bitterness and resentment and experience healing of our hearts and mind. But if we cling to resentment, it always injures us. We cannot experience emotional and mental wellness while harboring bitterness. Okay, the next one is a big one, the law of truth. The law of truth is that you can never avoid the truth. You can only delay the day that you deal with it. You can never avoid the truth. You can only delay the day that you deal with it. And I'm going to break this down into two parts. What happens when you embrace truth and what happens when you reject truth? When truth is embraced and accepted, it displaces lies and frees a person from fear and misunderstanding, elevating and ennobling the individual. Truths built together into beliefs, constructs, perspectives that together form our understanding of reality, leading us back to trust in our creator God. In trust, we open our hearts and our experience and we experience the indwelling spirit of God that transforms and ennobles us to be beings of love rather than beings of selfishness. All truth, all truth comes from God and if followed, eventually leads us back to God. But what happens when we reject truth? When truth is rejected, our understanding becomes confused, the mind is damaged, the heart is hardened, and we slowly become less capable of understanding reality. The truth of God's kingdom in the world around us, such individuals will one day face the truth, but at that point it will be painful and destructive to them as they will still hate the truth and will want to flee from it even begging for the mountains to fall down on them, as it says in Luke 23.30 and Revelation 6.16. Design law number 14, the law of revelation. People reveal or bring forth and share what they truly believe and value. They may say one thing, but they will, may believe something else, and they will live what they truly believe, not what they say. Yeah. Those who value God's principles not only speak them, but they live them. Conversely, 
Those who love the methods of this sinful world will live them out. Thus, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Matthew 12, 34 and 35. Next one, we're almost done, getting there. Design law number 15, the law of happiness. This is something a lot of people don't understand. Happiness is not something that you can pursue and obtain directly, but people are trying to do it all the time. Happiness is a byproduct of healthiness in all domains, your physical, mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual. One only experiences happiness when in harmony with God's design laws upon which all these aspects are built. Break the laws of health and sickness, and disease and suffering will occur, thus undermining happiness. Many people fail to understand this, and instead of pursuing healthiness, they substitute pleasure-seeking, which often violates the laws of health, such as taking drugs or alcohol or having casual sex or gambling or you name it. And it only causes greater unhappiness. Design law number 16, the law of brokenness. Once there is brokenness or injury in a life of any kind, there are no pain-free options. Doing nothing and one still remains in pain and disabled. But healing and recovery from brokenness is painful. And sadly, many people fail to realize this when it comes especially to emotional wounds. And rather than facing the pain and healing the injury, they spend their whole lives seeking pain relief rather than actual healing. But in so doing, they never get well. It only gets worse because once there is brokenness, there are no pain-free options. So the first step to healing is to embrace this truth and stop asking the wrong question, what hurts least, and start asking, what is the best action to take to heal, even if it hurts? And number 17, the last design law, the law of sin and death. This is a law that God didn't ever want to come into being. This is really Satan's law. It is the law of survival of the fittest, the principle of fear-driven selfishness that infects this world. The strong dominate and exploit the weak. It is the violation of the law of love and liberty. And it also has very predictable results. Pain, suffering, and eventually even death. In closing this morning, just a brief summary. God is our loving creator who built all reality to operate in harmony with his character of love. His design laws are principles upon which life and health are constructed to operate. It is God's plan to put these laws into our hearts and minds to restore us in his design for life so that we may live in harmony with him in perfect love and health. Well, I invite you this morning to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water, to reject 
the dictator imperial views of God to embrace our creator's design laws and by beholding him, be transformed in your heart and mind to be like him. For as John says in 1 John 3, 2, for we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is.